Thank you, Patty. Uh, boy, I tell you, I love spending time with kids, and I think there is a reason that Jesus told us that if we could just have faith like a child, right? Sometimes it's just very simple. I almost feel like I don't need to preach because that's the message right there. Uh, we're just to say, okay, God, right? I trust you. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Maybe it was a broken dream or even a particular direction that you wanted to go, and it didn't turn out as you planned. In our story today, David has a plan. It's a noble plan, and I think it really has the best intentions, but it's not what God wants for David. And the message is hard for David to hear. He's disappointed. And as we study this story today, I think it'll challenge us in our own lives because sometimes for us, that's the way it goes, isn't it? Maybe we have something we want to do, maybe even a noble thing for God, but it's not part of God's plan. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to be flipping over to the, to the parallel passage in Chronicles, so you, you might want to hold your finger there, put a piece of paper in there, and then flip over to the other, and then come back if you want to do that. But as we begin this morning, look at verse 1 with me. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Now, let's just pause there a minute. We find David here in a season of peace, a season of rest. Things are well for him at home. Now, we all like seasons of life like this, right? I mean, we might picture David sitting by the evening fire with the kids playing in the neighboring rooms. There is national rest. There's no war. The Philistines are not attacking and it is in this context that David begins to think, that David begins to ponder, that David begins to reflect. And he calls in his friend, the prophet Nathan, in verse 2. He said to Nathan, the prophet, and let's talk about Nathan for just a minute. You're going to hear more about Nathan in the coming weeks. But this is the first time that he's mentioned in the story. He's a key person in David's life. He's going to be the one who comes to David and confronts him with his sin with Bathsheba. He's a close friend, but he's also a prophet. He speaks for God. And, and David says to Nathan, verse 2, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now, maybe it was because David had time to reflect. He's looking around. He's noticing his cedar-lined house. And it just doesn't seem right, David thought. Now, it was common in this culture for kings to build temples or houses for their gods. And David feels like, you know what? I'm the king. Things are going good. I need to build a house for God. And look at what Nathan tells him in verse 3. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. He gives David good advice here. Go ahead. Pursue whatever you think, David. God will be with you. Now, this is general advice at this point in time. He's not giving him permission to do whatever he wants. In fact, we're going to see in the following verses, Nathan is going to get more specific information from God. But I think this is good advice. Maybe you have a dream. Maybe you have a direction that you're wondering. Maybe, maybe God's calling me in this way. You should pursue it. But know that ultimately God is the one who will decide whether or not it is his plan. We have to be willing to listen to him along the way. So as we go forward, we're having open ears the whole time. We're saying, God, is this right? Is this what you're doing? Is this the right way to go? Look at what happens next, verse 4. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, 
Now again, Nathan's the prophet, and the prophet speaks for God, and God speaks to the prophet. Verse 5, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God tells David, look David, I've not had a house for quite some time now. And he asked David, if God, God says, have I ever requested a house from you? I love how this, this, this conversation, it's almost like God is, is asking these questions to make David think, you know. I've been okay, all right, without a house already, right? The obvious answer is no here to all of these questions. God is pointing out that there's nothing that would require him to have a permanent dwelling place. In fact, the only directions that God had given was really for the ark. And uh, you remember last week, specific directions about how the ark was to be carried. But look at the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles. This is a bit more direct. And if you want to put a piece of paper or something in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and flip over to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we're going to be looking at some verses here. But this is 1 Chronicles 17. Again, a parallel passage. Same thing here, but a different recording of it. It says in verse 3, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. A little more direct there, isn't it? David might be scratching his head. You know, earlier he was told to go ahead, pursue whatever your heart is leading you to do, David. But now he's told that God is not planning for him to build the temple. Did did God change his mind? No, Nathan is simply giving general advice earlier, but as David moves forward, God speaks in a more direct way. You know, we may have a grand idea, a grand vision, but we must be careful as we move forward, realizing that it may not be God's vision, God's plan. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Now then, tell, oh, sorry, this is back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, if you flip back over to there, verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. David, I do and have, and have had a plan for you for a long time. I, I took you from watching sheep, and I made you king of Israel. He continues in verse 9. I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I'll provide a place for my people Israel. And will plant them so that they can have a home of their own. And will no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning. And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. God's plan for David has to do with David leading the people. It has to do with his kingdom. God plans to provide rest for his people through David's leadership. Picking up in verse 11, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David, the answer is no. 
You will not build the temple, but your offspring will. And it's not that David has sinned. It's not that David has done anything wrong at this point. It's just not God's plan for him. God has a different purpose for David. Now, is David wrong in thinking of building the temple? Not at all. You know, there may be times when we have ideas or we have visions, but it's not God's plan. And we have to be willing to submit our ideas to God. Nothing wrong with having a good idea or even a great vision, but we must be willing to realize that God may not have the same vision, and we have to be okay with that. You know, as you're reading this and as David is hearing this message from God, it's easy to focus on the disappointment, but there's great hope in God's word to David. Look at verse 13. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, he says. Now, he continues to unpack this. Again, talk, God is talking about Solomon here. He says in verse 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will be his father and he'll be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. You see, as we kind of look forward here into Solomon's life, God already knows that Solomon's going to be making poor decisions at times. But he wants David to know that his love and his presence with Solomon, with his family, will be unconditional. It's not going to be like it was with Saul, God tells him. God's going to stick with David's family. For how long? Forever, he says. Nathan relates this to David in verse 17. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. The rest of the chapter records David's response, and we can learn much from David's posture at this point as he stands before God. We can learn how to respond when God's will doesn't match what we want. We can learn how to properly position our desires and our wants with God's. Let's read together verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? You see, David has a proper understanding of what God has done. Now now think about it. He could have taken pride in his own accomplishments. He could have gotten upset that God was not in on his deal. He could have complained. He could have defended his position, his intentions. And like Mason said, he could have wanted to smash something, right? But he doesn't. He recognizes God's blessing, and he takes a humble approach. He's thankful that God's given him insight into the future of his family. Verse 19, And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? David is completely overwhelmed by God's mercy and God's provision for him. Look at verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Do you see what David's saying here? David may be disappointed that his dream will not come to fruition, at least not in his lifetime, but he submits to God and he understands that God's will is greater than his own. He focuses not on what God is not going to do, but he focuses on what God has already done. David opens up in vibrant praise 
about what God's done. Verse 22, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There's no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. See, David's not whining. He's not complaining. He's not focused on his own agenda. He understands the great work that God has already accomplished through his people, and he praises God. He continues in verse 25. And now, Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant in his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. You see, he understands that God is in charge. He's confessing here his reliance on God. He's proclaiming God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's reign. Look at verse 27. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now, how many times have you seen that phrase, sovereign Lord, here? David says it over and over again, doesn't he? Lord Almighty. God, you're the one in charge, not me. You see, David's response, and again, you've got to remember, David's a king, right? Kings are kind of used to getting whatever they want. <laughs> but David's response is not one of a temper tantrum. It's one of saying, God, you're in charge, not me. God, your plans are greater than my plans. God, I really don't know best. You do. And he closes with this prayer in verse 29. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. You know, we say David's a man after God's own heart. We're getting a glimpse of what that means here. He has the appropriate response. He understands that God's plan is greater than his plan. And certainly, as you and I know, God is going to do incredible things through David's family, isn't he? In fact, Jesus is going to come in the line of David, in the rule and reign of David, to establish a kingdom that will never end. You see, the kingdom of God is inaugurated by Jesus, who is the son of David. I want to point you to one more passage in 1 Chronicles if you want to flip back over there. This passage gives us insight into how David kind of lived in the tension of his dream and God's plan. David begins to prepare for the temple even though he knows that it will not be completed in his lifetime. 1 Chronicles 22 verses 2 through 5 says this. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonites or the Sidians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. And David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I'll make preparations for it. 
So David made extensive preparations before his death. I love that, don't you? He's still getting to participate, and he knows he's submitted to God, but he says, God, I'll just get things ready. I'll just do my part. I'll do what I can do. And you know, as we think about ministry, as we think about what God calls each of us to do, sometimes the things that we do are just kind of preparing the way, right? Just laying the groundwork, just planting seeds, as we often talk about in youth club, right? For what God will later do, maybe through someone else. You know, as we close this morning, we find great application as we follow God. As we look at David's life, we understand that his posture of acceptance and submission, that's really one that we should all model. Jesus, the son of David, will model the same posture. He'll go to Calvary facing the burden of the cross for you and me. And you might remember Jesus' prayer in the garden. In Luke 22, Jesus prayed, what? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And as we reflect on the posture of David and the posture of Jesus, we are challenged to live in that same sort of posture. We're challenged to submit our lives, to submit our will to God's will. We're challenged to praise God for what he's done instead of complaining about what he's not going to do. I wonder how God might be speaking to us through this story. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful this morning to be able to read the story of David. It's an ancient story, but it has incredible application for our lives today. And God, I'm not sure how it speaks to each person here in this room or each person who is watching online, but God, maybe maybe there's some dream or some vision or some direction, and you're saying no to someone today, and that's hard to take. And that person is, is, is devastated by that and doesn't understand that. God, I pray that we would have the same posture as David. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want, not what I want. I, I'm willing, God, to make preparations for someone else to do the work, God, if that's what you want. It's not about me, God. It's about you. And may we all have that same posture. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.